You are listening to the Family of Virtues podcast. Virtues are the essence of who we are. They are described in the world's sacred traditions as the qualities of the divine and the attributes of the human spirit. They are the content of our character and the basis of genuine happiness. Here, we aim to share inspirational thoughts and discussions related to the role of a parent as an educator and guide, so we can support children to grow through the many challenges of life and to help them turn these challenges into moral victories. Through conversations with parents and teachers, we will learn from their lessons and share how we, as parents, can plant and nurture the seed that will make a lasting impact towards our child's purpose. Thank you everyone for joining us today on the Family of Virtues podcast. I honor all of us for our commitment to learn more about ourselves and how we can create positive and loving environments for our children. The topic of today's podcast though is a little different. While we do need to love our children and ensure that they feel there is a safe space for them to be, a person that they can trust a person that they can rely on today though we will be discussing if love is enough we've heard plenty of times about how love is all there is there is nothing but love and that the most important thing we need to give them is love well yes of course it is essential so to discuss this further i am honored to share this space today with my guest shireen ratnani Shireen is a passionate and purposeful preschool educator and a mother of two teenage daughters of which one is in university and the other is in her last year of senior school. Hi Richard, I'm so excited and honored to be a part of this initiative because I think it's absolutely imperative for us as parents to just become very intentional about our virtues and recognize them in ourselves and in people. instead of sometimes looking at all the negative it's it's good to just get intentional and look at every human being that includes our children and ourselves and see what it is that is that is there to appreciate we all have virtues it's just dormant in there and the minute we mirror it i feel that automatically it mirrors in our children I will start today by taking a moment to read the Virtues Educators card for love. Now just a reminder to all our listeners that these cards are available from the Virtues Project website on virtuesproject.com and also electronically available through an app called Virtues Matter. So love. It says, love is a special feeling that fills your heart. You show love in a smile, a kind word, a thoughtful act or even just a hug. Love is treating people and things with care and kindness because they mean so much to you. Love is contagious and it keeps spreading. Powerful words, Shireen. I just wanted to know what your thoughts are just from those words that have come out. I think love is one of the most fulfilling emotions and actually there are just two primary emotions one is love and one is fear and when your heart is filled with love 
From there comes everything positive, whether it's excitement, enjoyment, bliss, happiness. It all comes from love. But on the flip side of the coin, if you have fear, then that is the mother of all negativity. So it's very important for us to be mindful and just realize that we have a choice. And every minute we have a choice whether we want to love ourselves and the people around us. Do we want to recognize it? Or do we want to just switch off that love and change it to fear, which is just going to be very devastating in every way for us and our children? I do think that as parents, we all love our children. And, uh, you know, one may argue that that is all that counts. Um, won't our children grow up fine if we love them? The instinct of so many parents from time to time is that when our children, you know, have been young and cuddly, it's our instinct to love them. It's our instinct to protect them. We feel that they are so vulnerable, that they need that protection, and that this instinct is essential for their safety. If we unconditionally care for them, isn't this the foundation for their growth? We've, we've heard so many times that by giving that love and making them feel fulfilled, that they end up being more content um, and, and, and live better lives in the future. Absolutely, Richard. I mean, if we go back and look at the hierarchy of needs, love and belonging is a huge one in the middle of it all. And if a child doesn't feel loved and doesn't feel a sense of belonging, there is no way that this child can progress to build other connections, to build self-esteem. And if he doesn't have that, he's not going to be a successful human being. So we, even though it's an abstract uh, emotion or a virtue, it is so essential. It literally builds the human beings that we are. Even if you look at behavior, if you look, if you look at behavior as an iceberg, if deep inside that iceberg, your child is feeling loved, then what you see at the tip of the iceberg is also going to reflect very positive behavior. It's an inherent need in all of us. And it's very, very essential that parents fulfill this need. But like you said, when children are young, you know, we tend to protect them and, and cuddle them and snuggle them. But what happens when children grow older? You know, when children grow older, a lot of parents hug their children less, snuggle their children less. And then what happens? Is this child going to start to feel like, hmm, am I, am I, am I, the child might not feel love. You might think you are loving the child in different ways, but is the child feeling loved? So as a child grows older, we need to be mindful that there are different ways of showing love. It doesn't remain the same. When they, were, when they were babies, the only concrete way of a baby feeling love was when we rocked that baby in our arms, and that was love, physical love. But as they grow older, there's so many ways. I mean, how do you express love to your child, Richard? Look, I, I think, Shireen, that's really interesting. Of course, I've got a six-year-old right now, and there are many ways uh, in which we can express love. But as uh, we identified before, you know, when our children are younger, it is so much uh, got to do with the physical. We, we love giving them hugs. That's the first thing we do in the morning. That's the you know, last thing we do at night. Um, every time I meet him, I want to ruffle his hair. I want to give him a kiss on the forehead. It's, it's just rather unfortunate, I feel, that as they get older, 
we feel that this is no longer uh, important. Um, and I've, I've heard of this somewhere, uh, Shireen, maybe you can correct me, that even with teenagers, we've seen a lot in the movies where parents are dropping kids off at school and then they say, you know, you know, I love you or something like that. And, and the teenagers actually, you know, they feel embarrassed because their parents are actually expressing that in front of their friends. Yes, absolutely. I think teenagers are at that point in their life where they just want to fit in with their friends. It's that need for affiliation. And they feel embarrassed because they feel they're still being babied, you know, being shown love is baby. That's why it's very essential for us actually um, to know that there are different love languages. You know, just saying I love you is one of the most easiest ways of showing love. And that's what we're so used to. But there are five love languages. And if we as parents actually know how to sprinkle these different love languages on our children, it has an impact on them and makes them feel loved. So it's not necessary that if you feel loved with a hug, that your child is going to feel loved with a hug. You know, we all have different love languages and we need to start recognizing what are the different love languages in our children. The best way to do it is to actually sprinkle a little bit of each of these love languages on them. And when you speak of love languages, I, uh, you are referring to uh, the work of Gary Chapman. Um, so would you be able to describe maybe just very briefly um, what the love languages are? And I think we, we may have some time to discuss them a little bit here. So the five love languages are quality time, gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch and acts of services. These are the five love languages. Actually, we may be sprinkling these on our children all the time, but maybe we're not intentional that these are love languages. And if we actually think about them, we're very mindful, then we may do them in a way that it is a love language for the child. So for example, let me just give you a very small example um, for acts of services. You know, If you are feeding a two-year-old uh, with a spoon, you know, you're feeding him because he can't feed himself, right? Okay, you are actually doing an act of service and that child might feel very nice about it. But if you are feeding a child who is old enough to feed himself, okay, you are not doing him an act of service. You're taking away a life skill from him. So mm -hmm. we need to know how to use. The other thing is using the words, I love you. That is a word of affirmation and it needs to be used on its own. I love you no matter what. I've heard so many parents who say, you know what? I love you. My God, you got a hundred on this. I love you. That is not showing love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing as saying, you know, when, when a child has basically achieved something, that's when they hear um, the words, I love you, or I'm proud of you. It feels like as if that is only going to come your way. Um, if, if there is an achievement um, and, and not irrespective of, you know, whatever happens. Absolutely. So I think every day, if we just make it a point every day to tell our children, I love you, just love you with, and you, be, you actually give them a hug. You are actually using two love languages. You're using physical touch and you're using words of affirmation. And Sharon, I may uh, just, uh, just cut in right there. When we've all grown up, 
uh, in different times. Yeah. And a lot of our parents, um, you know, have had very different ways or different parenting styles. I guess we've grown up okay. That's very subjective, of course. But our parents may not have been the kind to have said, I love you to us on a regular basis. Um, in fact, in the Eastern cultures, dare I say, a lot of parents might think that this is more of a new age thing. Even couples don't necessarily say, I love you to each other, you know, back in yesteryears. And now it's a more common thing with the younger generation. Um, but there is also a correlation between more sustainable relationships with people from yesteryears compared to relationships now. Again, I'm not backing this up with research or anything, but how is that the words I love you? Are the words I love you in isolation so important? Because we have been fine without those words coming our way and still feel the love from our parents. Right. Okay. That's because maybe our parents did a lot of other things. Maybe they sprinkled other love languages on us. Okay. Our parents did give us gifts, right? From, you know, when you celebrate Christmas or you celebrate Ramadan or any of these cultural things, family always comes and gives you little gifts. And that is another love language. So maybe we felt love through other ways. But what I'm trying to say here is that, as Gary Chapman says, if we've identified these five love languages, why not use all of them? Because there are, at different times in your life, a different love language might help you. When someone's really grieving and is hurting, they don't need a gift. That's when they probably need you to just hold them and just tell them that everything will be okay. But at another time, when somebody is, when a child is celebrating his or her birthday, okay, getting a gift which that child really wants might be the love, best love language to sprinkle at that time. So I mm. think it's not that our parents intentionally didn't use it. I think it's just a cultural thing about, you know, it's just a cultural thing about, especially with dads, you know, if dads not to, they're these strong men and they do not, they do not cry. They do not show their emotions in the olden days. It was almost like taboo to let your emotions be exposed because it was a sign of weakness in those days. It's not like that anymore today. And I think it's just a stereotype and I'm happy to see that has changed now. Yes, I think, I think definitely we, we know that things have changed and um, there's been a lot more research now, a lot of people talking about it. And, and I think uh, parents, the younger generation, um, feel a lot more open with their kids. Uh, but I also feel that when kids get older, we allow things to fall on the side sometimes. Uh, we, we find it's much more easier to express ourselves to them when they're younger. And when they get older, when they actually need it, we are not giving it to them. So things like physical touch, I feel sometimes go on the side because we feel that the child is not accepting of it and we feel that maybe they don't want it. So we stop the hugging process or we stop the kissing process or the ruffling of the hair, you know. You know, Richard, I think every parent who's hearing you uh, needs to see the truth in this. You're absolutely right. As children grow older, we start to assume that they don't need to feel this. And because 
we do not do it enough, these children are actually so affiliated and they're so hooked on to their friends because they are getting, they're getting quality time from their friends. They might be getting gifts. They do things for each other and they're getting their acts of services. They're also getting affirmation from their friends and physical touch. And you, the, you know, when these needs are being fulfilled by their friends, that's when a lot of parents feel a disconnect with their teenagers. I've got two teenage girls and I make it a point, I'm very intentional about sprinkling these love languages. And that's all it takes. And that's why the first thing I said, Richard, I'm very excited and honored to be a part of this because what you're doing is actually reaching out to parents to let them know, be intentional. Be intentional and know that every virtue that is dormant in your child, you know, it needs to just come out. And the only way it will come out is by you mirroring it to them. So, yes, we must continue to do it. And now a teenager might feel very embarrassed if you just hug him or her in a crowd. So do other things. Spend quality time together. Uh, my teenagers are are watching Netflix and using Snapchat and things that I was never exposed to. And it's really my choice now if I want to just let them be or I want to join them and learn what they're doing and spend quality time with them. You see? And let's say parents have, let's say time has elapsed between when it was comfortable between a child and a parent to share some of these love, love languages like physical touch and affirmations and things like that. And time has elapsed, mm -hmm. you know, a few years even. Okay. And a parent listening to this may feel that, yes, I actually miss that. I actually want it. I actually have a desire. Mm -hmm. And in another room with the door shut, a teenager may sit there and also crave for it at the same time. And yet the, you know, a parent and a child is not communicating and saying, you know, can we just hug it out or, or can we just spend time together? How, how do we bridge this gap? Because we definitely know that both parties, for the most part, want to make sure that they're there for each other. Okay, so I think it's two things. Number one is it's never too late, right? And the second thing is be intentional. If you decide that you want to bridge it, it begins from there. So yes, you obviously can't open your teenager's room and go and give them a hug. They're going to push you away or think that you're crazy. But what you can do is, okay, when you're sitting together as a family, you might want to say, you might want to create small rituals, like let's hold hands and say a prayer. It could be something as simple as that. And holding hands is a love language. It's physical touch. Or when your child does something, I mean, we, we need to acknowledge our children every day. Every day we need to acknowledge them. We so readily scream at children and screaming at children is the opposite end of words of affirmation. So again, if you are intentional, you, during those 24 hours, find something that your child did. Acknowledge that child. And when you're acknowledging your child, everybody loves acknowledgement, Richard. Everybody, be it a two-year-old or a 90-year-old, we thrive. It's an inherent need as well. So when you acknowledge your child, that's when you can just put your hand on his or her shoulder. And that is physical touch. So you can find very small ways of doing it and starting it that way. I've heard so much, Shireen, from uh, parents who feel that, you know, they're busy 
and they've got, you know, a lot of stresses, I guess, in their lives. And at the same time, when they're having to deal with their children and any issues that the children may have, issues at school, with work, with friends or things like that, it becomes a little bit, uh, it, it adds to that stress level. And, um, and that's when we sort of don't put our best foot forward, right? We, we, we may yell, um, we may say things that are mean and nasty, we, we may use shaming words such as, you know, how can you be so irresponsible or why are you so lazy um, and things like that. But at the same time, one may argue, and this is a reflection for me and, and all of us as parents as well, because we, you know, face different times in our lives where we face these stresses, that during the same time, we may receive a phone call from a friend and a friend may be going through a problem, but yet the level of consideration, the level of respect, the, the gentleness with which we speak to our friend, the tact with which we explain things to them without judging them, all of that sort of switches on. And the question that I sometimes ask myself is, doesn't my family deserve the best of me? Why is it that when my child had a problem five or 10 minutes ago, I felt that whatever I was doing was more important and I decided not to use any of those virtues towards my child. But 10 minutes later, a friend could be picking up the phone, calling me because they're in distress and I can apply all of these virtues of gentleness, of respect, of peacefulness towards my friend. And yet it's so so missing from, from that relationship with my child. Yes, Richard, absolutely. I love what you shared just now. You know, it goes back to us and our need for acknowledgement. You know that when your friend calls you and you are going to be this, this shoulder to lean on, you know that this friend is going to acknowledge you. And that is your inner need. It is Deep in our unconscious minds, we need to be acknowledged. We need to be affirmed. So you do it because you know at the end of it, you're, you are going to feel that sense of acknowledgement. But when it comes to our own children, it's just easier. We, we, again, we have two choices. We can either blame them or we take responsibility. And it's just so easy to blame someone, either your child or someone else around you. It's just the easier way out. Again, I think it's about coming back into the space of being intentional. You know, mm. take responsibility that everything that you, especially with young children, everything that you are doing for them, your way of being with them, your way of mirroring virtues, all the peace, the love, the gentleness, you are giving them gifts of virtues for life. Because when your children are 18 and they're out there to start a life of their own as adults, there is nothing else that they will take with them except these gift of virtues. That's really powerful, Shireen. I, uh, I don't understand, or sometimes I feel that we as parents need to understand that this is an investment. A lot of the time that we are giving our children now is an investment so that they practice, so that they achieve some kind of mastery in these areas, 
so that when they grow older and they have relationships, it gives them a chance of success. We already know what the world is going through right now. We know one of the biggest issues in relationships and with relationships breaking down is the inability to communicate. And I guess one uh, one could also state that love is a way to be able to communicate. So if we aren't able to communicate effectively, then there is no chance that a relationship can sustain itself. Yes. If, and if, if we don't model this or embody this, you know, with our children, then we aren't giving or planting those seeds for them in the future. Absolutely, Richard. If we just, if we just realize that, like, like you said in the beginning, love is all we need. If we just realize that, get into that intentional space and believe that, then it's going to become easier to forget what happened yesterday. Even as parents, we hold on, we have a lot of expectations out of our children. The older they get, the more the expectations. We want them to be, uh, we, we want them to be scripted as the kids that we have imagined. They're not going to be like that. They are going to be what they want to be. So I think we need to forget the past Keep all the expectations aside. Get into an intentional space. And remember that you as a parent, the biggest gift that you can give your children are the gift of virtues. And I think that the, the reason we've chosen love today is because it is not only a virtue, but in the hierarchy of needs. It is a need that needs to be fulfilled. And if it's not fulfilled, you will see misbehavior. You will see tantrums. You will see unhappiness. You will see fear. So if you want to actually um, address all those issues in your child, whether he's six or he's 16, don't waste your time trying to address those tantrums or that fear or that unhappiness. Just dive deep in and give him this love. Let let that love sprout out not only from you, but mm. from your child. And that's going to solve a lot of issues. No, thank you. Really, really powerful stuff. I think there's a lot for us to reflect on there, Shireen. Um, it's funny, though, that this podcast is focusing on love. And at the same time, the fact that love in itself is not enough. Um, and what I mean by that is, when we talk about love, we want to give the best for our kids, right? And I know parents are constantly trying. We, we schedule the entire week. Parents are sometimes so conscious that they may not be giving their child the best experiences. They don't want them to miss out on key skills. However, how important is this non-scripted time for them? And the reason why I bring this up is because non-scripted time unscheduled time, play time, that is actually work for children. When I actually see my own son in his unscripted time, he does a lot of things that we feel we don't know why he's doing it. You know, he goes out, he looks at trees and plants, he, he takes little insects, he puts them on his arms, he watches them and waits for them to fly away with superhero powers from his fingers. And we feel like as if sometimes... Um, we might be like, how long is he going to do that? Why don't we bring him inside and get him to play with these new puzzles that we got from learning resources or an aunt has bought him this fantastic game that he can play. Um, and he actually is not too happy about us taking away some of that time because when he plays, 
that is actually his work. And, and when they're working, they're continuing to practice, practice. They continue to build that mastery. And sometimes we don't realize what they're doing. But once they've done something 10 times or 15 times or 20 times, and they suddenly say things to you, it completely unfolds the thought process that has been going on in their beautiful minds over the last week or two. So we need to be a good mentor. But do you feel that this unscriptedness makes parents uncomfortable, that they feel that they need to fill the gaps, basically, with a plan or with a program? <laughs> yes, absolutely, Richard. You know, uh, I think parents are too busy. And it's easier for parents to just have something scripted, have these classes for their child to go to. And also, you know what happens with these classes? They, they see these measurable outcomes at the end of it. But play is the work of a child. And Maria Montessori said that. And the process of play is so vital in, in what children actually achieve. Think about it. Think about anyone successful you know, in life, somebody that you respect who is successful, what are some of the qualities that you, that you might actually respect in that person? Do you want to just name one or two? Yeah, look, I, I, guess, I guess I can reflect on people that I have been drawn towards. Um, sure. And I can say that I really appreciate when someone is gentle. Okay. Um, I appreciate when someone is respectful and they speak with a respectful tone of voice. I appreciate when someone is friendly and humorous and, um, and flexible as well. So at least when we're actually sitting down and having discussions with them, it's not about making an imposition or, or, or that uh, arrogance, if you like. Right. Um, I, I appreciate intellect with humility. Right. Okay. So you, you look at, I've asked maybe a thousand parents, what is it that they how do they define success in their children? And not one parent will talk about core subjects or doing any extracurricular. It's always some of these virtues or some of these characteristics like you said. You know, you want them to be naturally intelligent. You want them to be gentle. You want them to have intrinsic motivation. You want them to be self-regulating. And think about it. All of this comes from play. When your child is playing, he is following his own, um, he's self-regulating. He is deciding when to start and when to stop. He is creating. He is creating his own masterpieces that nobody else will create. But we need to allow these children. And while this child is doing that, like you said, you know, they repeatedly do that because we learn by repetition. We master by repetition. So when the child is repeating something, you know, they have neural connections which are being formed for life. So he's mastering something. He is intrinsically motivated because he's doing it himself. Look at the amount of confidence children have when they are playing. You can't buy that confidence. You can't go and tell a child, be confident. You can't send a child to a scripted class and say, now be confident. No, but when you allow your child to follow what he wants to do, look at the confidence that he's building. So we need to really actually appreciate, even if I look back at my childhood, you know, my childhood memories are not about what I went, learned in school. I, I didn't attend a single class, but my childhood memories were about 
um, picking up soil and actually making a small little shapes out of the soil, painting them and actually going to my neighbors and selling them. And I thought that was very entrepreneurial at a very young age. So when you allow children to play, they are actually developing the skills that is going to make them successful human beings. And we absolutely must allow children to play every day. Even adults must play, actually. Yeah, I think a lot of us have uh, sort of uh, lost that uh, childlike feature in us. Um, in fact, if we reflect, uh, children, you know, don't feel embarrassed when, when, when they fail, if I can use that word. They, they, they pick themselves up, they try again. I mean, just look at, look at the quality of children. Ever since the time that, that they, they've been crying or crawling and the amount of times that they've fallen, they don't care who's around them. They just pick themselves up and they start crawling again. They start walking again, no matter how many times they fall. They aren't really embarrassed by that. It's just that the older they get, and the more that they fail and they see that the embarrassment is there in the eyes of the adults around them, that they then start feeling conscious of failure. Um, and this is why their own time is so important because I understand that it's really hard to change parents. It's hard for us to change our body language. It's hard for us to show disappointment sometimes. Right. Um, but if we balance a child's life out, with their own space, where they're allowed to be able to create, where they're allowed to be able to fail, they're allowed to fall down, pick themselves up again, whether it be, um, you know, a hobby that they're doing um, that is completely out of what we've planned for them. Yeah, absolutely, Richard. I, and that's why it starts with us. You know, if your child fails, actually failures are the, are the best ways of learning because when you fail at something, you automatically need to use a lot of creativity, a lot of problem-solving skills. And instead of actually labeling that failure when the child does something wrong or the child fails, instead of labeling that failure, this is a time which we can actually turn that into a teaching moment and say, okay, fine, if this didn't work, what do you think it will take for us to make it work? So if we just use that positivity with everything that is happening versus you looking at it negatively, if we just make this one change as parents, you know, look at the positive, look at the silver lining in every cloud and change it into a teaching moment, I think um, a parenting is will be will be very easy if we just be intentional and the most important way or the most significant process or the, the most significant thing that we can do is to not look at the outcome but to look at the process and uh, when we spoke about affirmations before yep. um, I think it's saying that if a child has actually done something so let's say a child's trying to ride a bike really simple stuff um, and the child falls. Now, what the child had was the courage to ride that bike. So you'd have to admire or acknowledge the child and say, you know, hey, John, for example, wow, John, I acknowledge you for the courage that you had to be able to ride that bike. And the older he gets, he knows that he has courage and he's able to try new things. It's not about the fact that he fell, but the fact that he had courage to be able to try something new. And similarly, when, when, when a child is um, working on something and he isn't getting it and he shows that frustration that he isn't getting it, you know, we'd acknowledge the child for being so determined. So 
I acknowledge you for your determination as you're working so hard on that problem without giving up, right? Yep. Because you're, you're saying that you're determined. And what does determined actually mean? Determined means that you're working on something without distraction and you're not giving up. So allowing the child to understand that I have the virtue of determination, I have the virtue of courage. These are the things that are going to help the child in the future when they're facing some kind of problem. Yes. And all we then need to do is guide them or remind them and say, John, let us practice determination or let's show our courage. And guess what? John will remember that he has courage. He will remember that he's a determined individual because in the past, when he was going through a challenge, he was called out for his courage. He was called out for his determination. Absolutely. So beautifully said, Richard. You're talking about that bike. Yes. You know, acknowledging children for what they do and for their ways of being is so important. And any little thing, like when a child is riding a bike, yes, he, even to pick himself up, he had virtue of being strong, you know. So if we, again, get into that intentional space and label not the outcome, but the process, the way of being, you are absolutely right. Those are going to be taken by the child for life. That is their reservoir of strength and their coping mechanisms. And that is that is the human being that they are. We do realize though, right, when they actually step into uh, school and it all starts becoming more about the grade, that failure becomes so much more of a bigger deal. And that's when parents start looking at outcomes, the child starts looking at outcomes, schools start looking at outcomes because it's all about the grade, it's all about the certificate at the end of the day. And I know that, you know, we aren't miracle workers and parents need to understand that we operate within a society, we operate within a system and we understand that we're living within these parameters. Our child needs to get the grade, our child needs to get the certificate to be able to get to the next level and we get that. But let us make sure that we are mindful to acknowledge our children for their virtues as they are working towards those outcomes rather than the outcome itself. Yes, Richard. And I think um, uh, I want to acknowledge you for taking this initiative and having these, um, these podcasts because I think sometimes it just takes one reminder. It takes one reminder to strike you like a bolt of lightning and make you realize and if it is, it even makes a difference in the life of one parent, okay, it's going to make a difference to humanity. So I really acknowledge you for this work that you're doing. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And also, I think the world has come to realize that, I mean, we are seeing a lot of children committing suicides and things like that. And if you see in the last few years, almost every school is, is using a social emotional learning curriculum. And why is that coming in? It's for the same reason, you know, to bring out the virtues in these children because it is equally important. Emotional strength is equally important as cognitive strength today. And I think that's what we as parents need to realize. And thank you so much, Richard, for actually taking this initiative. I mean, it's a blessing when people step out to actually allow these things to reach parents to make a difference. Uh, Shireen, I'm, uh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm just blessed to be surrounded by so many educators like yourself 
um, who've agreed to want to talk, uh, you know, want, want to provide service to the community and to be able to share your thoughts and your ideas and your reflections. So, so thank you for that as well. Thank you. Um, I think as we, as we dive in towards uh, our closing, um, I feel that we need to know when to protect our children and when we need to step out of the way. Uh, a lot of the time we see parents who want to protect their children. And what we need to do is we need to help them find their edge and to practice the virtue that is expected of them at that time. Now, how many times have parents tried to, you know, step in and, and speak to another parent about an argument that a child has had with another friend? or a disagreement that has happened with an adult or a disagreement in the playground and things like that. So you spoke about teachable moments earlier. Yeah. And this is probably when we need to guide our children or, and, and model for them as well. You know, do they need to be gentle at that moment in time if somebody's actually done something to you? Or do we need to be peaceful right now because we're actually feeling very aggravated um, and uh, we, we, we're very annoyed with something. What can we do to make ourselves feel at peace right now? If something is not going your way, we need to start asking the question about what can we do to be more flexible, right? Because everything doesn't happen according to plan. Man proposes, God disposes. So what do we need to do to be flexible? And there are times when we feel that we may be taken advantage of. So the question that we may be having a discussion with our children is about on assertiveness. What do we need to do to be more assertive at that moment in time? So we need to provide our children with the tools and we need to communicate with them what these actually look like so that they need to remedy the situation that they are in. And instead of focusing on the negative, like, how could this person do that? How did this person say this to you? I can't believe it. It's, it's more about putting, uh, what did they say, fueling the fire. Right. We need to look at the positive and say, what is the expected behavior? And perhaps talk to them about our own personal experiences and show the human side of us that we too have gone through similar situations. We too have fallen. We too have risen. And what, what, did, what virtues did we need at that time? to come out of it. So I think our children need to know, or we need to know when to protect and when to step out of the way and let the creator work with them. Your thoughts on that, Shereen? Oh, absolutely, Richard. When you talk about stepping in and stepping out, the first thing, the analogy that comes to my mind is a gardener. You know, a gardener cannot just plant those seeds and then sit there uh, waiting for those seeds to sprout. He plants those seeds and then steps out and then waits for those seeds to sprout. And when he sees a little seedling, he comes back and gives it what it needs to grow further. So I think as parents, we cannot be stepping in too much and waiting for results to happen magically. No, we are, by being intentional, by actually practicing virtues, like you said, by actually sharing our own stories with children, by actually telling them how we practice these virtues, we are actually stepping in and giving them some value. And we need to step out and let these children grow. Let these children 
when, and when you see your children practicing the certain virtues, so if you have spoken about the virtue of resilience or strength or courage, or you have told your child about uh, you know, the importance of being gentle or you've practiced it, the important thing is when you see your child actually using that virtue, acknowledge it. Catch children being good. Acknowledge them because when you do acknowledge and affirm them, then they look at it as a strength and they will use it. We all tend, as it's a human tendency for us to use our strengths where we can. So I think we need to be these gardeners where we step in, we do our duty. We share stories, you know, social stories are the best stories from grandparents, our stories. So our stories have so much learning and because they're in the form of stories, it's easy for children to remember them. So we step and we give them this and we need to step out and allow our children to grow. We cannot, we cannot keep coming in and rescuing them. So if you want your child to be assertive and if he is having an argument with another child and he looks at you uh, trying to ask you to solve his problem, uh, if you are going to solve his problem, then he's, you're robbing the skill of him trying to be assertive. So we need to be those gardeners. Step in where you need to. This is perhaps the greatest act of love that a parent can offer. Yes, we need to give them love, but there are a few things that we must impart too. We must call out the virtues, as he suggested. We have to look at acknowledgement and affirmation. And we must guide them on being self-disciplined, purposeful, kind, and joyful. They need to understand how to be assertive and that we are always learning. Nothing is easy and we need to always be grateful. So if we love them so much that we let them do what they want and when they want is not good for them or for us in the long run. Once they reach adulthood, they will struggle to find their way in the real world and will struggle with relationships, struggle with friends, struggle with colleagues. And then it's our blood, it's our sweat, it's our tears um, that will continue. So letting them get out there and being a mentor and being a guide and letting them suffer the pain and trying to solve their problems is, I think, the greatest gift or the greatest act of love that a parent can offer. Yes, absolutely, Richard. I completely agree with that. And I think it's been very insightful for me today to even listen to you and what you've shared. And I feel like I just want to, I'm, I'm so ready. I'm already feeling that I want to be in this intentional space and start acknowledging all the virtues that I see in my children. Like I said, it takes one reminder, you know. So thank you so much for this. Thank you, Shireen. I'd like to close off by, by reading that virtues card for love again. Um, it says that you're practicing love when you treat others as you want them to treat you. Say kind and loving things. Share your things and yourself. Love people just as they are. Take good care of the things you love and do what you love and love what you do. And Shireen, at the end, there's an affirmation. So if you're comfortable, you can repeat after me. And anybody that's listening may also choose to repeat after me. I am a loving person. I am a loving person. I show my love with thoughtful acts. I show my love with thoughtful acts. Kind words. Kind words. And affection. And affection. I treat others the way I want to be treated. I treat others the way I want to be treated. 
Shireen, thank you for your generosity, your enthusiasm, and service. Thank you. That was so powerful. Thank you for your time, for your kindness. Thank you so much. Shireen, and to all our listeners, if they would like to get in touch with you, how can they look you up? Um, I think um, the easiest way might be to just uh, message me on my Instagram, which is Shireen M. It's S-H-A-R-E-E-N-M. And yeah, that might be the easiest way. Or they can, I'm sure they know how to get in touch with you. And they can reach me through you as well, Richard. Sure, excellent. And you can look me up for more information on the Family of Virtues podcast and other related topics on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my ID is R Siddhartha. So that's R-S-I-D-H-A-R-T-A. And on our Facebook page, Family of Virtues. Please subscribe and tune in again next time. God bless us all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening.